Well, how are we doing out here? I like interactivity, interactive. So feel free. Also, if you got a question or something, if I'm preaching that's really confusing to you, raise your hand. Let's go back and, and let's pull it apart and let's see what we, we have and where we might be missing it, where maybe I'm over-speaking it. And if we can't handle it directly, well then let's meet and have coffee and talk about it. Okay? <clears throat> well, I got a note from Matt here. <clears throat> Lowell, thanks for filling in. I really appreciate it. Just remember, don't leave the stage or move around too much because the people get nervous. <laughs> You're really allowed to laugh. Now, if I'm in a religious, traditional church, we don't laugh. But this is not that. We are free in the Holy Ghost, right? Oh, it's coming. So don't move around too much because the people get nervous. Also, don't shout or get emotional. We aren't Pentecostal. By the way, don't expect any amens. You're the only one who does that. Thanks again. Good luck. May the force be with you, Matt. <laughs> P.S. Stop by the office tomorrow for your honorarium. Is it still a thousand dollars? Question mark. Well, that's levity. We know that. <clears throat> I wrote the note. You're really waiting for something, aren't you? <laughs> I am too. <laughs> a while back, are we ready to jump into this, Lord? A while back, I received a book from a gentleman by the name of Richard Byland, B-Y-L-A-N-D. And the name of the book was No Fear. And I think he sent it to me free, but, and I don't know why. I really don't know how I got it. But I started to read it. I'm going to grab a stool here. So I started to read it, and it was a pretty good book for the first third of the book. And then it kind of petered out, I guess we could say. And I ended up never finishing it. But I bring the whole thing to you for just share the, the essence of the whole book and part of where we're at today that I want to share about. And he wrote this. And he said, Mountains and dragons. A mountain is a large immovable object between you and your goal. You can either subdue it or you can walk around it. If you try to walk around it, you won't be on time if you even finish. Also, there's always a second mountain behind the first and a third mountain behind the second. You can run from your mountain and it won't follow you, but you will fall short of your goal and your destiny in God. On the other hand, you can walk through your mountain by taking it apart. It's an accumulation of piled up small problems. To win, you will need the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to help you discern and identify to find out where, when, and how. 
By taking the small problems first, you will nullify what seems to be a big problem. Now, dragons are different. They use your fears to stop you from overcoming your mountains. Dragons will either be subdued or served. You can run, but they will chase you until you either turn and fight them or surrender to them. They will never go away. Dragons may look like another person, but they really hide in you. When you identify them, what they all have in common is exploiting your fears. You can't change Satan, the chief dragon, or his method of operation, or anyone else in your relationship base. But through Jesus, you can have dominance and victory. So what I want to share this morning on is going to be uh, spiritual warfare. And let me start right out saying that uh, spiritual warfare, when we talk about that, this is all secondary doctrine type of thing. I, my uh, philosophy or MO, method of operation, is we have primary doctrine and we have secondary doctrine. Primary doctrine, doctrine is Jesus Christ crucified. It's the cross and your redemption. It's the fact that you know Jesus personally, that you are saved, and you know that you're going to heaven. And there is no question about it. It's, it's set in stone, period. I like to say it, you know it in your knower. You know it way down deep in your spirit. Secondary doctrine, on the other hand, can be spiritual warfare. It can be all the church teachings and one thing and another. It's anything that's not primary doctrine. Secondary doctrine you hold with an open hand. You've got a doctrine, you believe it, you've studied it, you've researched it, and this is where you stand. But you stand with an open hand because it's understanding that secondary doctrine can change when you learn more, when you grow more in the Bible and the Word and God, and come to a greater understanding, you're going to shift your position. But this is your position right now, and you're holding it. You're never holding it so strong that you're going to fight for it. You can debate and you can talk. But you don't fight, because who you're fighting is going to be a brother or sister in the Lord. So you give grace to each other. That's secondary doctrine. Spiritual warfare, as we walk into this today, is secondary doctrine also. And I'm almost a little hesitant to open it up, because it's a really... uh, large topic area to go into and obviously we can't I can't cover it all today I can only give us a little bit of an inkling starting in it strategically Paul gives a good overview on spiritual warfare with Ephesians 6.12, which says, and I use the New American Standard Bible, which is not an easy-to-read version. It's a a more uh, literal version where they attempt to uh, translate the Greek into English and also bring the sentence structure from the Greek into English. So this makes it more awkward. And you don't have to read New American Standard. I love the New Living Translation and some of the other translations. The Living Bible is where I started, and it's absolutely an awesome translation. It got me off and running. 
But I, I do prefer the New American Standard because I want to teach and I want to get into the heart of the Lord. And, and, and to me, this takes me back closer. It might all be in my head too, but anyway, that's where I'm at. But Paul writes in Ephesians 6.12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, it's against powers, it's against world forces of darkness, this darkness, it says, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Now, I could go into a whole teaching on all of that stuff, but um, we'll hold off sometime later, maybe. Or, let me plug my small group coming up. It's going to be at 10 a.m. on one of the weekdays. I think I'm going to shoot for Wednesday. Is Malia around? Okay, let's go for Wednesday at 10 o'clock. And it's coffee at the Revolutionary Building. The Revolution Building. No, I like Revolutionary Building because we're going to start a revolution. We're going to be revolutionaries. And we're going to come together and study Ephesians. And, you know, Ephesians takes you into so much. I chose it because it takes us from the point where we're cleansed, from, where we're cleansed by the blood to sealed in the Spirit to, to uh, the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers to spiritual warfare, which Paul just wrote about. So... Anyway, uh, I don't know how many we can have. Ten people, is it, or 20 people? Ten, the first ten people to sign up, they can... Yeah, this is where we'll be. Anyway, moving on. Um, and I already discussed secondary doctrine and everything. So, I, my share this morning... Um, I got John 10.10 10 up. That's good. Um, my share this morning is... Uh, uh, comes out of uh, studies from different authors, uh, which it, I don't know how many people follow these particular authors, but uh, uh, Ch uh, Chuck Sheets and, um, oh, uh, boy, I can't even, uh, Robert Morris and Jack Hayford, uh, a bunch of people uh, go on the YouTube and you can get their teachings on that. Uh, Cindy Jacobs is another good one. Um, Joyce Myers, uh, all of these people will tend to get, really get into this spiritual warfare stuff and lay it out very nice. And so I've read the books and everything and, and come to some of the conclusions. And uh, this is where I'm sharing out of today. One of the things that they shared, one of the things I gleaned out of it, spiritual warfare tends to come in on three levels. It's a personal level. A personal level in spiritual warfare is dealing with unclean spirits affecting you and your home. This is the harassing or unclean spirit level. It's not curses needing to be broken. That's another phase of spiritual warfare. It may be just an attitude correction that you need. This is a low-level warfare and can really be seen if you read Acts chapter, Acts chapter 17, uh, verse 16, where Paul is uh, in Ephesus and he's approaching Mars Hill and uh, he's in his uh, preaching and teaching and this uh, slave girl comes up and annoys him by uh, prophesying and this and that. Anyway, read Acts chapter 17, verse 16, low-level spiritual warfare. Paul just cast the demon out of her, that's all. That's a low-level low spiritual warfare. We're gifted, you know, we're gifted to do, to cast out demons. I'll give you a verse later on for that. So anyway, the next level is the occult level. And you're dealing with uh, 
Unclean spirits affecting small geographic locations such as a family, church families, businesses, social or ethnic groups, neighborhoods or smaller specific areas. This level can go into breaking curses. You might think of uh, this as King Herod. Uh, the enemy went into King Herod. We know all about King Herod, and so Jesus is born, and, and he's worried because he's supposed to be the coming king, and he doesn't want to be dethroned, and so he kills all the kids in under two years of age. There's a country that that goes on in yet today that's pretty prominent. can't think of that country, but they killed the, killed the babies before they're born. <laughs> what country is that? The occult level. And then there's the strategic level. You're dealing with spiritual influences affecting large geographic area, such as a town, city, state, nation, or country. This is the highest level of spiritual warfare and reserved for those who are invisible and acknowledge spiritual leadership. This leadership is usually defined as the fivefold ministries, intercessors, and we can see that in Daniel chapter 10 where Daniel uh, is calling for help and, and his prayers are going up. And I didn't really review this and so uh, his prayers are kind of uh, being held for naught. And so uh, the angel from heaven comes, the archangel comes down and defeats the, the enemy and releases uh, uh, Daniel's prayers to go up. And so uh, sometimes when we pray in spiritual warfare and we see that nothing's happened, uh, you know, it's kind of like, I, I, I've always thought my, like the, there's a, a, a ceiling over me and my prayers tend to bounce off and come down and there's no effect or no, nothing seems to be happening. And it's really, it's frustrating. I don't know why. Well, it's, it's, we know we have three hands heavens, correct? Heaven is between me and you. There's a second heaven where the, uh, 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 the evil spirits really reign, and then there's the highest heaven where God is at. So it's in the second heaven basis where there's wrestling matches going on between good and evil. The angels of darkness and the angels of light are, are going at it. And so uh, in my thinking, this is where my prayers stop. They get to the second heaven, and then for whatever reason, um, there's they, they come back, and it's just, yeah, it just doesn't happen. This, this strategic, strategic level, on, not only on Daniel chapter 10 can you see it, but also when you read the Word of God and uh, you go through it, remember that in 1935, the nation of Persia became Iran. So when we hear anything in the Iranian front, Go back and think Persia. Go back to the Old Testament and see what was happening in Persia. And take that up to today. Because uh, I will say this again later in my notes. But the demons we fight today were the demons in the Old Testament. They're the same demons that are in the New Testament. They're the same demons that are out there today. Unclean spirits, however they're attacking, however they're working. It's the same thing. The Bible hasn't quit. The Bible is a living document. And when you're spiritually inclined, you will find out that the Holy Spirit is working today the same as it did in Acts. Acts never ended. There's not the 28th chapter of Acts and then it quits. We're in the 29th chapter of Acts. Everything that was replicated or spoke of in Acts continues today when we, the church, 
the church people wake up, identify with it, get baptized in the Holy Ghost, and start walking in the Spirit and pulling down the kingdom of heaven like Jesus prayed. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It ain't going to get done on earth as it is in heaven until we catch the concept that there's a spiritual battle going on and it starts right here around me. And then it moves on out. Now, how much time do I have, David? Okay. You know, we talk about this uh, strategic level warfare. I lived in a community where there were no less than 13 embezzlements. Does that give you an idea something's going on? I come from a community that there was at least a dozen business fires. Does that create a thought train that something's going on? We live in a community that every church has thrown out its pastor at one time or another. Maybe not the Catholic Church. I don't know about that one. But otherwise, you can, I can go down the line. I can pull up records and documentation that pastors have been thrown out in this community of light. Now, is there something right there in a, the city of lights that maybe would kind of trip our trigger? That there's more than just lights, but the light of the kingdom is in the people? The, that we are the light that carries out our community. And that this battle, it, it hits, and then leadership gets cut down, stabbed, beat up, thrown out. So we got my text verse up there, ready? John 10.10. 10. So Jesus said to them, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Life. It's not just living life, it's spiritual life. Jesus said, I'm going to the Father so that I can send back the Comforter so that it can imbibe in you the Holy Ghost, the Comforter. It lives in us. It's not floating around out there or something. It's specifically sent for His people who accept Jesus and ask for it. And then He will send the Comforter and it will come into us and we will have life. And we'll have it abundantly. Now, I think there's a problem here. Please bear with me. But, you know, I know many people, good brothers and sisters, who are saved. They believe in Jesus and they're going to heaven. But they're what we, as Pentecostals, call cessationalists. The gifts quit. They, uh, let me back up a second. Let me back way up a second. Abundant life. I gotta go, I gotta identify, I gotta ask forgiveness for my Pentecostal charismatic brothers and sisters who pray for Cadillacs, pray for big finances, pray for all of this physical possession stuff. That's not abundant life. Where does abundant life come from? It's in your heart. We talk, I'm going to be talking about kingdom here pretty soon. Paul writes in Romans, For the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, out of the King James. Righteousness, peace, and joy start in your heart and then move out into your actions. 
My other textual verse that I didn't put on slides, but we can use here for spiritual warfare. These, Jesus just said that before he left. He gave this, uh, I, I don't want to say ultimatum, he gave us this uh, job. These signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. I believe that. I'm not real successful with a lot of it. But I believe it. I stand on it. Because that's what Jesus said. And I believe every... Jesus, he's not joking me. He's not lying. He's just saying that... I don't know why it's not working. I don't have that yet down. But before I go... up, to, Before I get promoted to the home office is what I like to say. I'm going to get some of this stuff figured out so that I can share it with you again. But it's there and it's doable. I have seen some recover from their sickness. I saw a brother raised from the dead, actually, now that I think about it. I, went, I was an EMT, uh, and he lived about two blocks up the street from me. And he fell over one morning on getting ready for church. And, um, oh, he had some cardiac problem of sorts. And his wife called, and she said... Ken fell over in the bathroom and he's dead. And I ran up there, again, I was an EMT, and I ran up there and the unit got there and we put the defibrillator on him and he was flatlined. He was gone. He was gone for 20 minutes, flatlined. You're supposed to shock at that point in time no more than three times. We shocked Ken seven or eight times. And he was always flatlined. We ran him up to West Union to the local hospital up there and they put him on a helicopter and there I had a prophetic word for him. <clears throat> and I said, Ken, you're not done on earth. I said, the Lord's going to release you and bring you back home. He's got work for you to do. I'm sorry. I do get a little emotional. I'm embarrassed I didn't shout it out like God told me to. But I did whisper it in his ear. And the nurse did hear it. And he came back. And he lived another, I don't know, 10 or 15 years before he passed. And he was an elder in our church. He's a tremendous man of God. Things can happen. The war. The who. The what. The when. The where. The why. And the how. Who. Kingdom people. <coughs> Excuse me. At your salvation, you become kingdom property. Have you ever thought about yourself in that way? You are kingdom property. You are not some old slum off the street in the backwoods or in the back street somewhere. You live, you are on whatever street it would be, Glory Street, King Street. You are kingdom property when you become saved, when you get saved. You are set apart. You are now God's possession. You were bought at the cross. You were saved when you were born again. You are now set apart. You're sanctified. You were in Satan's kingdom of darkness, <coughs> but now you're in God's kingdom of light. The problem in spiritual warfare that I find in, in different bodies that we've belonged to, and Lord knows Victoria and I, we've joined enough churches in our life and been with enough bodies. The thing is, people can't catch this revelation of their value. 
uh, of their uh, value, their kingdom value. They don't have what I call, um, I just put it right here. They don't, they're not kingdom minded. They don't have kingdom vision. They don't walk in kingdom action. They don't have kingdom dominion. <coughs> now sometimes people will say, well, you're just trying to control everything. No, Jesus prayed thy kingdom come. So, I'm standing on Jesus' prayer here this morning. His kingdom needs to come. People need to get this kingdom kingdom mentality in there that you're not an old rag thrown in the corner, but you're the richest. What is spiritual warfare? Spiritual warfare is a term used to describe the conflict and intangible infliction and assaults that emanate from <coughs> and take place in the invisible spheres of creation. It is centered on invisible creatures battling with prayers and lives of kingdom people. See, you have spiritual warfare because you're a kingdom person. You may not realize it yet. You may not have grown to its fullness and all of that. But you're still a kingdom person. So the enemy's going to come back and, he, and he's going he's to battle you however, wherever, whenever he can to tear you down, to take you away. <clears throat> Spiritual warfare is the battle between righteousness and evil fought, fought in the heavenlies, the world around us, and inside of us. <coughs> It is the Holy Spirit establishing the kingdom of God in our lives. It is the Holy Spirit's, here it comes again, it is the Holy, it is the evil spirits of the Old Testament, which are the same evil spirits in the New Testament, which are the same evil spirits we fight today. Demons or unclean spirits don't die. They are judged and they're sentenced. Just like we're judged and we're given a free ride to heaven because we believe in Jesus. I like unclean spirits versus demons for the first part of this here. <clears throat> Where does the battle begin? The battle begins when you pick up the mandate that you are a kingdom person and that you're called to live different. When you read the word for here and now. When I read the word and I say, that wasn't for yesterday, that's for today, that's for now. Cast out demons, lay on of hands, speak in other tongues. Paul said, I would have that you have spoken tongues all, that you would all speak in tongues. Something like that, I'd have to look that verse up again. <clears throat> so, when you ask for the Holy Spirit and start submitting to the Holy Ghost, you will think, Satan, that's when it starts. It starts when you submit to the Holy Spirit and ask for him. Now, could I get somebody to bring me a Kleenex, please? That's kind of embarrassing, but my nose is running. Thank you, young lady. You're an awesome servant of the Lord. Let's give Malia a hand. Let's give her husband a hand. 
See, we just don't show appreciation enough around her for each other. Let's give ourselves a hand. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Now, where was I? <laughs> Spiritual warfare begins when you... Uh, oh, that, that's what I was going to say. You know, we're saved. I, I don't, I'm not challenging anybody's salvation here. I assume everybody here is saved, that you've given your heart to the Lord. I'm moving on. This isn't a salvation message. This is, you're saved, now we need you cleaned up. And the Holy Spirit does that. <clears throat> so, don't let me scare you out of your salvation or think I'm coming down on you. I don't want it to come across that way. This is not a condemning message. This is an encouraging message. <coughs> I'm giving it as an encouragement. Where? The battle starts in you. It's in your flesh in disobedience to the Word and Holy Spirit. <clears throat> It is in your emotions, attitudes, maturity playing out in ungodly thoughts, words, and deeds. Galatians 5, 16, 17, and 25 say this. Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you would please. If we, verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us so also walk by the Spirit. So inside of us then, we have this tug of war going. You with me? There's this, you, now, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just going to, you all got it. So don't think you're exempt. Because Hebrews says the besetting sin. He talks about our besetting sin. So we've all got this sin nature in our flesh that has always got thoughts and ideas that wants to do something that God hasn't proposed to do. And this isn't just super spiritual things. It's just living out his call. It's handled because we are called to grow up in Christ. In Hebrews 5, we're called to transform our minds. In Hebrews 12, we're called to bring our thoughts under control. In 2 Corinthians 10. So, <clears throat> it's up to us as a kingdom person to recognize our value to start living in our value and growing in our value <clears throat> growing in those five scriptures which I just shared how does it start and maybe I'll be reiterating here we don't understand kingdom we live in our flesh not in the spirit we are saved maybe but not working to set ourselves apart you know, I was thinking during worship about kingdom people in my message. And, you know, 
I have heroes that I really love. Uh, my first hero is probably Moses. He was a kingdom person. That, that's what a kingdom person looks like. He is called by God. And uh, he knew he was set apart. And he stood up to the call. Probably my next kingdom hero would be uh, Abraham. I want to model my life after Abraham. When God says, pick up your family and your duds and go to a foreign land, I want to be like Isaiah and say, here I am, send me. These are kingdom thinkings, kingdom thoughts. Abraham, Abraham wasn't perfect. Moses wasn't perfect. Maybe the next one would be my kingdom hero is, hero is Noah. Here's a man who lived in a, a culture just like ours, as filthy and as horrible as what we see in America today. And God said, build a boat. And it never rained. And what's a boat? And how do you explain that? But he was a kingdom man and he followed the Lord. Oh, another kingdom hero is David. Slew the lion, slew the bear. He was a champion for Israel. He fought all the kings, took the ground. He was a kingdom man. And then he sinned. Well, <clears throat> you know, it's a battle. It's always a battle. How does sin enter in? What makes this flesh battle be so um, distressing? Well, <clears throat> it's where doors are open. Our life, our actions, our soul is a composition of our uh, mind, our emotions, and our will. And our mind and our emotions and our will comprise an outward production of thoughts, words, and deeds. I don't really have to judge anybody. I can just see what they're doing on the outside. But on the inside, in their heart, we don't know. But there's doors that are open. The most, and these doors need to be closed. Now, this is deeper, deeper. This is really getting into the Word, into the Spirit, and probably with a very mature brother or sister to talk about these things. The five most prevalent doors that I read about are disobedience, unforgiveness, inner vows or judgment, curses, emotional trauma. Anytime you are going through one of these doors or one of these doors are open, it allows the demonic or the unclean spirit to come in and vex you in whatever way it is. If you are into pornography and you watch it, 
Now, the, the enemy cannot read your mind, but he can read your actions. So if you're into evil stuff, what is he going to bring across the, your life to tempt you with? The same thing that you're getting into. Unforgiveness. How many people carry unforgiveness of some sorts? And they had very real things done wrong done to them. And unforgiveness. And that really takes the work of the Lord. Judgment. I grew up in a family that was big on judgment. Judging. And shame. Grew up with a lot of shame. What will the neighbors think? I don't know if you ever heard any of that, heard that. But I heard that. So well, what will the neighbors think if you do that? And And fear. And, oh, and judgment. My mom really judged hard on everybody. And I, unfortunately, it was passed down. And I still have to work at not judging. I still have to work at, at seeing the, the best and realizing that they're just wrestling through life with whatever they're doing. If I go to judging, then I should go to praying, right? Wouldn't that be the logical thing to do? Ooh, I don't think, well, I better pray. Close the doors. You've got to get serious with God. Change some things in your life. I believe David talked about that this morning. You need to submit to get honest and own your junk. Here's a, here's a real thing. You realize that as either believers or non-believers, there's a tendency to not tell the truth. To lie. Okay, it just is. God cannot heal a lie. God cannot move into your life until you start getting truthful with them where I fall. And not disguise it, not push blame shift somewhere else. They made me do it. Blame shifting is so prevalent today. But God can only work in truth. And when you get honest before him, Lord, I really struggle in this area. Whatever addictive behavior it might be, and it might be just laziness, which in itself, or sleepiness. You know, you're called to be alert and awake, but you're sleepy. It's an area that God would have you correct. God would have you uh, be stronger in. But he can't do anything until you get honest with him. And say, here's where I struggle, Lord. Here again, this is something you don't go to just anybody and share with. You go to the pastors, Pastor David and Pastor Matt. Or somebody, and you start sharing openly and honestly. It's messy. I've been down that road. It gets really, really, really messy. But your servants are... Uh, confidentiality, they hold to it, and that's the, that's the only way through it. You've got to walk through it. I, used to, I worked in the jail ministry for five years when we first came to town, and uh, I, I would uh, hear people, and, and they would share a bunch of junk, and I would say, you're incarcerated because you broke the law. You are now paying your just dues for the infraction that you did. Now, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to ask Jesus to come in. 
And I say, understand this. Jesus is not a magic wand where you go, poof, and all your problems go away. Jesus is not a magic flying carpet that you can get on and whoosh, you're gone. Jesus is a power that will get you through your mountain. Now let's pray. And the other thing to tack on there is Jesus does, or excuse me, God doesn't wa- doesn't waste miracles. If you're not ready to change your lifestyle, He isn't going to come in and change you. If you got a budget problem and you pray for relief, He's not going to He's not going to bring relief until you straighten up your spending. Until you make a budget and you start living in your budget, otherwise He's wasting a miracle. I want to lose fifty pounds. But he's not going to help me until I start backing away from the banqueting table. It's just that plain. It's a waste. But I do know that he works. I had a three-pack, a Marlboro three-pack a day cigarette habit back in 1976. And one day I, I, I wanted to quit in the worst way. <clears throat> and I had the God thing in my mind. I was brought up in a church and, a, and everything and everything and everything, but I wasn't saved. But one day I, I said, God, I, I bummed a cigarette for my assistant manager, excuse me, and I walked back to my desk, and uh, I looked at that cigarette, and, and the, the clock was behind it, and the clock said 1040. And I said, God, these things have got me whipped. I said, I can't do it. I said, if I'm going to quit smoking, you got to do it. And I laid that cigarette down, and I never smoked again. And a couple, three days later, I said to myself, you know, there's more to this God deal than meets the eye. <laughs> and it was part of my revelation. And now i got to be honest again and say that while that happened in um, August, the next May we had a big company party in Dubuque, and I went and... Uh, It was one of them parties that went all night, and I did smoke a cigarette. I lit it, took a couple of puffs, and I <laughs> laid it down and quit. It was a bad party. I'm not proud of it. And uh, I think that was before I was saved. I got saved in April of 77. I quit smoking in August of 76. I might have had a commitment to the Lord. I might have made a commitment to the Lord as my savior, and just went out and got so boogle-eyed, it's ridiculous. (laughs) And I'm not proud of it, but it's part of the history. He's a redeemer. He can pick you up. Pastor David milked cows and drank Budweiser. He was in our church, and and anyway, uh, he would call up and he was a good brother, had a good family, and he would, Low, Pastor Low, how are you doing, Low? I'm out here with bossies, and we're milking cows, and we're... Dave, you're drunk. But one of the brothers in the stream of churches that we were with walked up to Dave one day and said, You're called to be a pastor. And you know, Dave took that to heart. He doesn't drink to this day. He's pastored different churches in different cities and different states. I kind of lost track of him. This goes back quite a few years. See, the kingdom of God is there and it works if we will work with it. But we got to believe it. We got to think it. 
We've got to act on it. We've got to live in it. We've got to do it. And i got a couple more pages of notes. But we aren't going to get there. <clears throat> okay, I'm going to speed through. Three common questions. Can a, can a Christian be possessed? No, not when you're born again. However, you may be oppressed, depressed, suppressed, compressed, repressed. The enemy works where the doors are open. Will I have to do spiritual warfare? Absolutely, if you want to feel your, fulfill your kingdom destiny and obtain your freedom and blessing. Why is there spiritual warfare? God does this to the Israelites in Judges 3-4. Go back and read that. He said, I'm leaving five kings for you guys to battle. I'm leaving five kings so that you can learn war because your sons currently have never fought the fight. I'm leaving five kings for your sons to learn to war and to test your obedience. That's why we have spiritual warfare. See, what happens in the Old Testament, God still does today. Your spiritual warfare is he's testing your obedience. He's testing to see how fervent you are in the battle. And when we fall, and we all fall, then he's checking to see how fervent you are in your repentance. Are you a Judah and you want to go out and hang yourself? Or are you a Peter who denied Christ? But when the rooster crew crowed, it, Peter realized... And he wept, wept bitterly. See, here's the key, part of the key to everything here. Again, I see the time's going on <clears throat> to be repentant. See, kingdom people are repentant. Moses was repentant. Abraham was repentant. David was repentant. David sang that beautiful song, Created me a clean heart, O God. And take not thy spirit from me, but renew thy spirit within me. See, this is kingdom playing out. This is kingdom. We're called to be kingdom people. Hallelujah! I'm going to quit right there. Does this fit everybody? Does, are, are we good to go if I quit here? Did, do you feel like I've ministered the word to you? Are you encouraged? I'm looking for feedback. <laughs> I am looking for feedback. Now, and if you need to know more, talk to me. I'll meet you and we can talk. This is just the beginning of this whole dynamic of spiritual warfare. Otherwise, Father, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I want to give thanks for this opportunity to share your word this morning. Father, I want to pray over the brothers and the sisters that are gathered here, Lord. I want to lift them up, Lord. Hold them close to you in your throne of grace and mercy, Father. I want not that I would speak anything great, but Lord, that your word would come through mighty and mighty in a cleansing way, Lord. Cleansing and healing and bringing wholeness, Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, I release these people to you today, Lord. I give thanks for them. I say, bless them, bless them, bless them. Bless them, bless them, bless them, Lord, as they go forth in your name, Jesus. Amen and amen. You're dismissed.